and welcome to the Hack Your Mindset podcast with me, Jenny Winterleach, the Mindset Hacker. So wherever you are today and whatever it is you're doing while you're listening to this, settle in and enjoy the ride. This morning we've got the lovely Becky Holmes here. Hi Becky. Hi yeah, hi everyone. So Becky has a page called Wobbleberry to One Star because Becky was indeed a Wobbleberry a few years back now and is now a graduate. Um, and we're going to be chatting today about uh, Becky's journey with her gorgeous horse, Buck, um, and what she's been up to and her new horses and things. And some of her old ones as well. She's got a, a fair herd there, haven't you, Becky? Yeah. Um, we're going to be chatting about your journey and what you've been through. Becky's also one of our ambassadors. So uh, you've been on a bit of a fly and changes journey as well, haven't you? And um, yeah. We'll be chatting about some of that. So, Becky, just tell us a little bit about yourself, and probably let's start with let's start with your Wobbleberry journey because I think that's kind of where it all began, really, isn't it? Yeah. So, I started following Hannah um, at the start of her journey, and when the Wobbleberry Challenge came out, it was something that I felt I'd like to try. I'd recently been to my friend's; she had let me jump a horse I'd never jumped before, and I thought quite like the idea of this. Um, so yeah, I started. I started my journey with a horse called Bridget, who I've still got. Um, she's been absolutely amazing. She took me from like cross poles to about a metre schooling. But what we soon found is that she she just didn't compete. She was really really nappy, and I mean she taught me a hell of a lot. But like every time I tried to do anything cross country wise, we didn't get out the start box or I fell off or. Um, so I started looking a couple of years ago for another horse, something that I could do the wobble bridge challenge on and books advert kept coming up and I kept looking at it but it was a little bit out of my budget so I kept running to the back of my mind viewing other horses and just none of them were right and I just kept this advert book kept popping up so I gave them a call and it was quite crazy really they're actually Hannah's next door neighbours and his old owner was really really involved with the charity so when I said I was a wobbley they were really they really kind of wanted me to come and see him and I knew they weren't gonna lie I knew what they were saying was honest because if they were so involved you know they weren't about to sell me something that was probably going to kill me um so yeah I went to see him and on the, when I tried him I jumped an 80 centimeter spread while I was trying him which at the time for me was like absolutely huge I only did 80 if I'd done the 50 60 and 70 first and then someone forced me into the 80 and I just knew. And his old owners, you could tell they just loved him to pieces. They were selling him for the right reasons. And really, that was the start. And he just absolutely changed my life. Um, we completed at the actual Hannah Francis one day event, which his old owner actually organised. So it was really important to them. They really, really wanted me to go and compete there. It was, it was a hell of a trek. It was about three hours away from us. Um, but we completed there. And we completed on a 28 dressage and double clear inside the time so we came second as well and that was kind of where the love of eventing I think was born it was an amazing if anyone ever gets the chance to go it's phenomenal everyone's in the same boat everyone's nervous there's wobbleberries everywhere supporting you it's, it's the most supportive event I've ever done and yeah that was that was it really from then on we were off so tell us then what was so important to you about the wobbleberry challenge what is it that drew you to it why did you want to do it I think for me, I didn't grow up like my mum, my mum's horsey. But when I got my first horse, mum wasn't really involved. I paid for it out of my pocket money. And like competing was never something I ever considered because I didn't have someone that could drive me around. 
it just wasn't ever on my radar so I was a happy hacker for 10 years loved it you know that's all I did and I think when I started looking at the wobbly challenge it opened up a new world to me and like I thought well right I've got to I've got to take my trailer test I've got to get, I want to get out this is what I want to do and having that aim because I'm the kind of person that when I want to do something I throw myself at it 110% and I would do anything I can to get there and I just I, I really loved it it opened up to clinics and training where I started to meet people like I didn't really have a life due to my mental health like I worked and I went home and that was kind of all I did and slowly this world of trying to do this challenge took me to local shows took me to training I was meeting similar people in similar situations similar mindsets and it just it opened up this whole community to me and I think that's been that's been massive so how important because it is a real community isn't it the Wobbleberries because like everyone's in oh, it yeah. <laughs> how important was that community to you as being um you know part of pushing yourself and wanting to achieve what was a, a really big goal like you say you know for some people 80 is like oh whatever that's like training kind but for others uh, me included back a few years ago that was like oh flip it that's actually off the floor like oh hello <laughs> um so how important was that community for you in you know really pushing yourself way out of your comfort zone Oh, massively. Like you get so much support. Like I do, I did the, I've done the Wobblebury camp now to, well, the first year I went with a horse, second year I went on foot, but um, that's massive. Like I met my best friend there. She's someone that I wouldn't have met if it wasn't for the Wobblebury's. And I've got friends all over the country. You know, we meet up at Burley, we meet up at Badminton. You've, and it's just, it's lovely. Like the seven goals that they've been doing, obviously this year it's tailed off a bit because everything's happened, but it's forum where you can post I did some trotting poles today and everyone's like that is amazing and it's not there's no there's no pressure if you it doesn't matter what height you jump it doesn't matter how nervous you are everyone is there to support each other and I think it's just an amazing community and it's such an awesome thing isn't it because actually that's how we came to know of each other was through Wobbleberries wasn't it because I was obviously supporting it and then decided hang on a minute I was hearing all these unbelievably inspirational stories from these people that have got these massive journeys in order to actually do this thing you know like they were absolutely crying a a pole on the floor and I thought wow you guys are so determined that you're going to do this at least I you know I mean I can you can do some little cross poles and things I haven't ridden I haven't jumped my mare for a few years because I decided not to but you know what I reckon I can have a go at this too and so two in the morning one morning on the the last ever 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 closing date that was available I put in my entry and that was that and I just thought wow this is this is this is something different isn't it and I I think there's been challenges around but I've never come across one like that I don't know if you have because it's it it really did push a lot of people out of their comfort zone didn't it yeah I don't I've I've not really seen anything like it There, there are literally challenges but there's not really anything out there and I think having that goal and having to raise money and and wanting to do it just it drives you like some of the people I've met like you said have been a hell of a journeys and have come from like me never having jumped a pole before to actually this whole community opens up and I think it, it helps people realize eventing isn't quite as elite like I always thought of British eventing as a very elite like I would never dare go there I wouldn't fit in with my muddy bog pony and single trailer and crappy car like you just I wouldn't I wouldn't fit in but like once you actually open that door you realize that actually most people are exactly the same as you. Do you know what the eventing community out of all of the communities out there and there are lovely people and everything obviously they just are the most supportive ones and 
I don't know if it's because you've got to somehow be good at three things or <laughs> whether it's think about or whether you you have to spend an entire day doing it or what but they're really close-knit they're really close-knit really helpful community you get an awful lot less of the nastiness in eventing than any of the others yeah I mean I I, whenever I go eventing I always end up making friends with like people that are like parked next to me or I'm well known for being one of those people who has two of everything in my car and it has been known we put it next to someone who's forgotten the hat or forgotten a martingale. I'm like, don't worry, I've got a spare. Yeah, sorry, you just caught me eating a bit of banana there. Oops, <laughs> trying to grab me breakfast in while we're doing this. Okay. Um, so, yeah, it's really supportive community. So how have you found that support has been so key to achieving what was a big, a big challenge for you? Because you could have gone and done it without, couldn't you? You could have decided at any point in time, I'm going to do a BE80. And anyone can do that, can't they? You know, what was it that meant that the community really helped you to push? I think, like, I w- I still am. It's one of the reasons that I am one of Chile's ambassadors is that I, I get really bad competition nerves, massive, massive competition nerves. Um, and I think having that community and, like, knowing that when you pull up, you know, the amount of times I've been in with the warm-up with someone who looks as green as I do, and it gives you that little boost, you know, if you know there's other people and everyone else is a country around looking smug, like we know what we're doing. It, um, that's that's really helped. And I think as well, having the forums for the Wobblebrees where you can post like, look what I did today, or or even meet, I've met up with a lot of them through training and clinics. Like, there's been new, I think every time I've gone on a BE clinic, there's been a Wobblebree in there. And I think that's, it keeps you going as well, having people to train with, having people at the same level, it, it just makes you want to do it more. So that sounds to me a little bit like, okay, so the Wobbleberry is not really running in the same way anymore. It, it, it grew a little bit faster than they expected and, and it wasn't really a sustainable thing in that respect. But if people are thinking of doing a, a big challenge of some sort, um, that actually having people around them that they're sharing that with is really important then. Oh yeah, massively. And I've got friends that aren't Wobbleberries because obviously I, I carried on and started going up the levels. And by doing that, I've made lots of friends and I've got friends that I go out schooling with that are at the same level or higher than me. And I think it's nice as well to have people that are higher than you because it changes your mindset. Like B100 used to look terrifying to me. And if the book hadn't, or like unfortunately been diagnosed with arthritis, we would have stepped up again last year. And they're having those people around me that were confident and like, yeah, you'll be fine. It's not that bad. That's, that's kind of what keeps my mindset and stops me freaking out. <laughs> So one of the things, so we know you're called Wobblebury to One Star, um, and originally the plan was to take Buck from yeah. being Wobblebury to that level. Now, obviously, horses being horses, that's not the case. But tell us about some of the trials and tribulations that you even have with whether or not you named it that. I know we had sort of conversations about what you should call yourself on your page or and things, whether it'd be all right to, you know, tell us a little bit about that story, because I think that's fascinating. Even some as simple as what do I name my page and we uh, we get asked this all the time on forums and all sorts of things so uh, what do I name my page like like it you know it's your journey but what do I call it so tell, tell us a little bit about yeah I was really worried about what people would think because obviously I was very much a novice when I started out I still am to some extent like and I was really like book competed at two star previously the old two star and my aim like was to get to, to one star that that was my aim with book and I was but I was really nervous it had a nice ring to it but I was very nervous about what people would think and the judging I'd get 
but I think for me whether it like I said before I'm I'm very set on things if I get something in my mind that's what I want to do and obviously book won't get to that level again unfortunately it's been diagnosed with arthritis but I have since bred my first foal who we think has all the all the attributes that might get us there so it might be a long journey but I've, I've very much learned to just not worry so much about what people think it's my journey if it takes me 10 years it takes me 20 years that's what it is and that's still going to be my aim I still want to raise money for the charity so I'm going to keep going at the levels and try and do that and to me now it doesn't really bother bother me so much where I get to it's it's my journey and I think that's that's the that's the end game ideally so that comparison thing that what other people think thing the judgment the imposter syndrome is something we come across all the time people always talk about it what would be the things that you've said you've experienced and how have you overcome that over that time? Because, you know, you've been putting yourself out there. So you're going to get judgment either way, good and bad. Yeah, I think the biggest one for me is I had Bridget, who was a very difficult horse to ride. She's incredibly talented, but like I said, very nappy. And I went from that and obviously I bought book. I think the first thing once I started getting out of venting the first thing was people thinking you know she's gone out and bought this made horse you know books compete at two star yeah she's bought this horse that is going to go off and do it easily what they a lot of people didn't know at the time was book had had three years off so he had only been kept in very light work he'd done a little bit of jumping he hadn't been out to any competitions he hadn't invented for three years so yes the buttons were there yes he absolutely adores his job but he's not an easy ride. He's very sharp. He's very spooky. Um, he is the bravest horse I've ever sat on to go like cross country and stuff on. But he isn't. I think I got a lot of think a lot of people thinking that I bought this made horse and I was just this person who was lucky and rich and that's how it was. But that wasn't the case at all. And I think it's been a bit of a journey. But I think as people have started to see us out and see, see us at certain venues, they have started to see that side of him. You know, he bolted once at a dressage competition. I went through some dressage arena three times at a flat gallop, apologising profusely, being unable to pull up. And like we go to Vale View a lot, that top arena, I can't get anything out of him in there. He's absolutely terrified of it. Um, and yeah, I think I think it's just it was a big thing for me at first. It really upset me that people didn't think that I'd put all this work in. Like I was putting so much money into training, getting him fit, having lessons. Um, I think it took a long time for people to realise he wasn't just this, don't get me wrong, he's a lot easier than Bridget and he's great fun and he doesn't react to my nerves, which is amazing. But I think, yeah, it still took a lot to get me there. And I still had one thing that my friends keep telling me when I finish and I go, oh, it's all him. They say, yeah, but you still rode him. You still got him round that course. Like he wouldn't have gone and done that on his own. And it's keeping that in mind. And obviously since I've taken on a, a new X-Racer that's straight off the track. So that's been quite exciting to kind of bring him on and I think show people that, you know, it, I am capable of doing more than just popping around an eventing course. So tell us then about some of the exciting things with your ex-eventer, Ed, because he's just a dude, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, so I got him last August. And to be fair, he's been amazing because um, I don't, at the, well, we are having the school put in, but I don't have facilities. So through the winter, I'm unable to ride on the field. So I literally have to box up every weekend. So bless him, he had a bit of a baptism of fire in terms of he went from obviously just retiring from racing to being out, taking to all different venues, different lessons. And I think looking back, I don't realise how brave I was just to box up this horse and take him straight out to all different arenas. 
but he's absolutely soaked it up. He's been cracking. He's he's really brave. He's braver than Buck. It's like to hack and things. He's a very brave horse. And we've got him going. He'd started show jumping, which he's shown a real love for. Um, we did go out cross country, but that was a bit of a mistake on my part. I took him a bit early and it blew his brain a little bit. Uh, but then we went back to kind of poles and stuff again and flat work. And I think he's going to make a really nice dressage horse and a really nice show jumper. Whether he events, I don't know yet. I have taken him in hand, which was a really good thing to do. I really enjoyed that. I've never done that before. And water steps, which is he didn't care. So, yeah, I think once obviously lockdown slowed us down, which has been disappointing because he was he was flying before we had like we were, he was coming to Wobblebury camp with me. That was really exciting. But yeah, like obviously it slowed us down, but I think it's given me a lot of time on the ground with him, which has been really improving our bond. He takes a hell of a lot from his rider. So like doing a lot of stuff on the ground and stuff, it's, it's been really good for him. And he's just I've just been keeping ticking over a couple of times a week, but we're hoping to up that now and, and get him back to where he was and crack on. And what do you think you've learned from, you know, testing managers going, oh, a bit too soon, a bit too far, or always oh, ready for this? You know, what do you think you've learned from that? Because he's the first one that you've really kind of started from scratch in that respect, isn't he? Yeah, I think, I think I've learned that, like, mistakes are going to happen. Like, I really beat myself up about taking him across country. He'd never, he'd never been in an outdoor arena because it was winter, only ever hide indoors. He'd never, we'd done pole clinics, but he'd never really had other horses cantering past him. And I hadn't really thought it through. And I got off absolutely beating myself up, really angry with myself. I was like, why did I do that? I just don't understand. And then I took a step back and just thought, you know what? We're going to make mistakes. That was the point of taking him on was for me to learn. Because obviously I've got to bring my foal on it if he is. So the idea of taking Ed on was to learn. And I need to let myself make mistakes. It's not always going to go perfectly. And I, I've been very lucky with him because most of it has. You know, he's he's not done anything particularly naughty or silly. And everything I've thrown at him, poles, fences, he's just been like, yeah, cool, I can do that. And I think because it had been going so well, I let myself really. And I think it's just, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. And it's about learning to live with that, and but learning from them as well. And I wouldn't do it again. I'd make sure I'd probably go on my own next time and get him used to indoors and getting doing more canter work you know I took a lot away from that of what training I needed to do to get to that level so yes that old adage of you don't learn anything by it all going perfectly and as lovely as it is when it does all keep going nicely like that you've got to have some of those things to help you reassess and learn haven't you? yeah and I think it was getting my head around that and it's actually it was a good learning curve for lockdown because my, my ground's really hard and it's really rooted. And obviously, Book's got arthritis, so it's not ideal. Ed's not the most balanced. Um, and I think learning that it can't always go right. You know, if all I can do is walk and trot, all I can do is walk and trot. We'll do theory, we'll do groundwork, we'll do different things. I think that was a good lesson to learn just before lockdown. And so... And so you talked about, um, you know, how it how it got you down, it upset you and things like that when when you were expecting things to go well and actually the learning you've got and now you've got a much better mindset about it and things. Tell us a little bit about, because you've had a bit of a mental health journey as well, haven't you, with all of yeah. this. Awful lot of learning through your horses about yourself and what, what catches you out and what takes you forward and things like that. So tell us a little bit about that for you over the years. So I'm diagnosed with bipolar and Asperger's and I had some really un unhealthy coping mechanisms, like really unhealthy. 
and as I started this challenge it because I didn't really have a goal I didn't really I went to work I came home I didn't really do anything else yes I hacked but I didn't really meet up I'm on my own land so I didn't really meet up with anyone I didn't really have any friends that did the same thing and as I started to do this challenge it gave me goals things to work towards and I started to kind of grow I also started uh, private therapy as well which was quite hard it took me I had to go through everything um, that had kind of led to my when my bipolar started and things I'd done and things like that and it was really hard for the first year I came out feeling worse than I went in and I think a mix of that and the horses I started to grow as a person and and meet people and speak out about my struggles and I think that it was really big it really it really helped and I think like if two years ago I was a different person if I went to work I'd have four or five panic attacks I'd end up crying in the toilets like I was it was really hard and I look now and like some of the stuff I've done and dealt with I mean I I would never have dreamed of towing a trailer I couldn't even drive a car on me and I had to have someone with me now I think nothing of hitching up towing to the other side of the country and the horses have been massive like if I've had a bad day now and I'm really struggling getting on and riding book completely changes my mindset and I mean the biggest turning point for me was obviously when I got him and I realised that if I kept up with these unhealthy coping mechanisms, I wouldn't be able to compete. I couldn't hold him on the cross country if I if I'd done something stupid or it affect my. And I I kind of felt I did it for him. I felt that if I'm unhealthy, then he's not going to do what he loves. So I kind of put it a different perspective. You know, doing it for me wasn't working, but doing it for him and letting him do what he loved just was kind of the final straw that kind of just helped and I'm now clusters in remission so that's been a really big thing for the past couple of years that's amazing I didn't know that congratulations that's really cool amazing I mean I know obviously you know we you've been an ambassador with us now for about 18 months I think isn't it yeah yeah uh, we've talked about all sorts of different things and what have you and, and stuff along the way but uh, I didn't know that so that's fantastic well done so amazing so in remission so that means what then uh, I don't, I haven't had any like severe bipolar uh, symptoms for probably the last year. I haven't done anything stupid or resorted to my bad coping mechanisms. I've just, I think I know myself very well as well now. So I'm able to identify and speak out when I need help. I'm able to rationalise better. And I think the, the biggest one is just the time with the horses. I know if I'm struggling and I know lockdown has been hard I'm working from home on my own which is you know it's very lonely but I'm able to call my friend or speak to someone from work or you know I know I'm going to the horses after and it's just about I think it's about just self-preservation as well and but eventing has been massive being out with the horses competing has been just what's kept if I'm having a bad week I'll book something good with the horse at the weekend and we'll go somewhere and we'll do something I'll look forward to that all week and it keeps me going so yeah, that's been it's been it's been amazing. I think book has played a huge part, a huge part in getting me well. So if you don't mind telling us a little bit about perhaps what some of your unhealthy coping mechanisms were, and then we can talk a bit about what useful ones you developed instead. Because I think you know people hearing what you've been through and realizing there's way more to it than just the wobble bridge challenge and learning to event, right? Everything yeah. else that you through i mean this is so true isn't it this is like hidden illnesses people don't know it's there but it doesn't mean you can't recover from it and i think it's amazing to hear now that you were in remission 
to really inspire some other people that listen to this about oh and by the way Nadia says you're a truly inspiring lady and really grateful to have you as her mentor because of my ambassadors um they will get mentors from previous and obviously you've got no idea they look gorgeous Nadia so um tell us then a little bit about what were the unhealthy coping mechanisms so that maybe people can identify with a few of them themselves and go oh I didn't realize I was doing that or oh, maybe that's not so healthy yeah so my, my biggest one was I had really bad anorexia to the point where I think I was about two weeks so if I hadn't eaten for a further two weeks I would have died um so that was this is going back to this is quite a few years ago now but it's something that I resorted to if things were bad I obviously I, I attempted suicide a couple of times um, at my worst points um, but the biggest probably the biggest one for me was self-harm kind of my go-to when I couldn't deal with things was to punish myself and it'd be anywhere I could just to really hurt myself and that's what I had to stop for book because if I damaged myself you know I was going to hospital it was it was, it was bad and it was getting to the point where it was getting it had to be worse and worse for me to to feel better and that's what book helped me with book stopped you know I, if I'd have hurt myself I couldn't hold him on the cross country I couldn't I couldn't work him I couldn't do what I wanted to do and that was and it was learning to find other ways of coping and other things to think about and now even, don't get me wrong it's, it's hard to recover from uh, you know I was doing it for like 15 years but now if ever I, I think oh, I've got a really bad place I want to do something like that I'll think of book and think no because it's not fair on him and that's what kind of stops me now and keeps it in perspective and going down to ride is what I do when I feel really bad if I feel like that bad I'll go and ride and then by the time I get off I can pretty much guarantee my mindset's been changed. That's amazing I mean some real real really nasty coping mechanisms we're not talking about just some you know beating yourself up a little bit in your own head type thing so okay so they were the really horrible ones and there may well be people experiencing that at the moment that are going to take from this like wow it's amazing to hear I can recover from things when they get that bad um which is an amazing beacon of hope for people I do hope you share more of this story for people because it really is amazing to hear that you know you can get through it um if you just find something that is strong enough motivation like you said like buck was the thing that made you go I don't care I've got to change this. And, and often that's the way with people. People, when they get, they find a strong enough motivation to help them overcome something and be better, then that's what the catalyst is to change it. And sometimes that could be a person, sometimes it could be a horse, sometimes it could be even things like having a child or something um, that does that. Can also go the other way sometimes as well. But um, so what, what, so they were the kind of the really, really horrible bits. What about the bits where you just had some really unhealthy, like mental patterns, some, some maybe things that you were doing from a thinking perspective that weren't helpful? Yeah, I think I, I had no self-confidence at all. I had no self-confidence in myself. And I, I heavily relied on everyone around me, like unhealthy amounts. I couldn't, if I was struggling, I'd put on my mum and my husband and I'd have to speak to them like every 10 minutes. Or if I had a breakdown, if they didn't answer, their phone right then it wouldn't matter if they were at work didn't care what they were doing it was very much from my perspective I need to speak to you I need to put and I wasn't able to kind of support myself through it I wasn't able to I didn't have the tools to, to kind of rationalize and think things through properly like I said I had no self-confidence which is why I didn't do anything I didn't meet people like it's it's weird to think about like if I went out I would never approach someone 
Whereas now, like if I'm in the eventing car park and I see someone having a bit of a meltdown, I'll be the first to go over. I always am. Or if someone's forgotten something, like I said before, I'll be the first to go over. Whereas that would have been unheard of for me. Like the thought of going to pay at a till or ask someone for something over the counter was a massive deal. Like, whereas now it's completely different. And I think the self-confidence has come a lot from our sessions where I've realised, you know, it doesn't matter what people think. And I think that's why I've been able to open up about my mental health as well. There's a lot of stigma around mental health. Like I worked with the company I worked for for four years before I made them aware of my mental health because I just, I thought there's going to be this stigma, you know, people are going to think bad of me and people won't want to know me. And that has happened in the past. I'm not, you know, I have lost friends through it. I have people have stopped speaking to me over it, but I've realised now that they weren't worth having. They weren't friends worth having. So tell us then a little bit about that journey to confidence then. What kind of things were you changing? What kind of things were we doing um, that helped you to change that? So obviously one of them was about, you know, getting rid of some of the people that weren't helpful to you. What about that and other things then? Yeah, I think I, I really struggle with any form of confrontation. And I, I had a lot of people that kind of walk all over me or put me down or so, even silly things. Like I'd, I'd say, oh, I'm going to this event today. And then someone on Facebook or some random person, but, oh, that's brave. It's really big there. And then I'd be like, oh, my God, I can't do it. <laughs> like massive meltdown. Um, so it was about just getting into perspective, I think. And like, yeah, just spending more time with the supportive people, spending time with people who, who saw the good in me or who I could relate to and just getting away from that negativity and not letting, not letting it get to me. Because I'm one of those people where I've just, I don't tend to fall out with people. So people say things to me, it'll upset me, but I wouldn't actually deal with it. And I think surrounding myself by people that support me, that that are even levels above me so that I, I've got people to look up to, that's that's been massive. I think just don't let, don't let negative people impact you because it just ruins, doesn't matter what you do, doesn't matter what level you compete at, real friends will support you no matter what you do. And so how did you do that then? Because we can say, oh, you know, don't let the negative people bother you or, you know, just leave the be, you know, not worth having. But how, how would you do that then? If someone came to you and went, oh, I've got these people, they're walking all over me, I don't want conflict, I don't know what to do, I don't want to let them down, upset them, hurt them, there might be repercussions, all these things. What would you say to them? Um, first thing, if, if you can, get rid of social media, get rid of the people off social media that get you down because there's no need for that. You don't need to be to be dealing with that that's one of the first things I did and then I think just you don't necessarily need to to be horrible about it just put a bit of distance there or or speak to them or just speak to them and say you know some people aren't always aware they might say things that I've got friends that sometimes will say to me like oh yeah that's you're really brave doing that or little things that bug me that get into my head and they, they have no idea that it's stressing me out like my mum's my mum's a big bugger for it She'll be like, oh, I can't believe you're going to toe there. Oh, why? You oh, no, I don't like that. And then I'm going, oh, I felt fine about it 10 minutes ago, Mum. I feel terrible now. Like when we, weaned, when we weaned the foal, I was all set to take the mare away, absolutely happy. It wasn't until Mum, what if she starts kicking the trailer? What if she stresses out? What you, and I was like, oh, for God's sake. <laughs> so, yeah, I think just, um, and, and I just had to say to her sometimes, just please just don't say anything. Just don't say anything. Let me just do this on my own. Um, but, yeah, I think just putting distance there, or speaking to them but the biggest just get rid of off social media if if people are getting you down just get rid of them you don't need that kind of negativity and the real friends will stick 
the real friends will either stop saying the things they're upsetting you, they'll stick and they'll support you no matter what. Cool, amazing. Okay, so what else then helped you with confidence? So obviously you've talked about team and the people around you. What else do you think helped you to be the confident person that you are today? I think the, the biggest thing I use is um, something I learned from one of your things that I came to was every time you ride, don't push yourself more than 10% out of your comfort zone. And that's been massive for me because your comfort zone just grow quite quickly. Um, but I can be a bugger. Like my husband, he's big on, yeah, let's make your fences bigger. Let's do it bigger. Let's do it bigger. And I think the biggest thing for me is if, if I'm only feeling confident enough to trot around the paddock today, that's fine. But maybe do a little bit more, maybe do two laps instead of one. And then just push yourself quietly. Don't don't be drawn into being completely precise. When I moved up to be 90, I was not I was not ready. I was terrified. I hadn't done enough 90. If you'd have asked me what fence four jump like after I finished across country, I wouldn't have had a clue what fence four was. I was in blind panic. Um, and I think that's that's the big one for me is make sure you're ready. And you'll know when you're ready, when you're comfortable at, at the level you're doing and it feels easy and you've got no nerves, that's the time to move up. Not just because you think I really want to do a bigger height now. <laughs> I think that's really, that was a really big one. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was a really big one. That's massive for me. I use that every time I ride, as well as the only changing one thing. If you're going to a new venue, do a height you're at, you're comfortable out on a horse, you know. You're changing the horse go to a venue you know, at a height you know if you're changing the height go to a venue you know on the horse you know that is huge because I didn't use that my first year of anything and once I'd learned about it I used it the second year and it made a huge difference that was, and that was the bit that you forgot when you took Ed to his first cross country wasn't it you yeah, forgot everything new, new venue new discipline and went oh why did we have a meltdown uh okay you changed things mate oh yeah oh, I didn't think about that <laughs> yeah exactly exactly a reason why that worked so well like that's a that's a really good good like yeah that was that was terrible and I didn't realize till we had our call I hadn't even thought about it and I was like oh yeah I do that all the time with book why have I done it with Ed and <laughs> um, so having really simple like principles and models to use so you know the comfort comfort stretch model is is just like foundation of everything that we do isn't it and then the change one thing as well really really useful so once you started learning about those systems and those models and and things what did that change for you in terms of how confident you felt or or how in control of things you felt you were or anything it helped it helped simply I think I always had a plan and sticking to the plan made me feel confident like the other thing we used I'm I used to be terrified of warm-ups warm-ups were terrible and we came up with a warm-up plan, which was, this is what you're going to do every time you go into a warm-up. And once I had that in place, straight away, I'm no longer, they don't bother me anymore. I used to get really nervous about warm-ups. And I think having a plan, you're in control of it then. It brings the control back to you. Yeah, you can't control everything. I can't control who's in that warm-up or what they're going to do. But I can control myself and book on what we're doing. And that, that just it gave me so much confidence like I've been so different my second season event into my first season because I've got all these in place and by using the confidence model like your confidence grows without you realizing it but you're chipping away and chipping away and it's what I'm going to go back to once we start training properly you know I'm not going to whack the fences straight up at 90 I went out last Saturday for the first time and we warmed up mainly over 70s 
when we did some 80s and we finished on a couple of 90s but you you know I made sure that I kept my comfort zone very close I hadn't jumped in eight weeks and then as I started to grow and my blood got up then I was able to do more but I had a plan already for what I was going to do when I got there like I already knew I wasn't going to go and jump over the 90s so the plan was there I stuck to it and I came away and we'd achieved and you know had no issues Awesome. So we are a little bit short on time today, aren't we? Because you have to head off. Um, so if you were to give anyone a piece of advice um, that to be back where you were or maybe not quite there, but, you know, just feeling lost or, you know, struggling or finding it really hard to find confidence or motivation or stop beating themselves up or comparing themselves to others or any of those things that you were doing way back then what would you say to them would be something really useful to do or find out or join in with or anything like that? I think the main thing is that you, you can do anything you put your mind to. If you want something bad enough, if you think you want something, you want to do something, you can do it. You can do it. You've just got to put everything in place to do so. And if you are struggling, reach out, get people around you, let them know what's going on. The biggest one for me was actually saying I need help. You know, if you need help, speak to someone. Just so trusted, it doesn't have to be everyone, but the biggest thing is speaking out, don't suffer in silence, because that's what I did for years. And so, so for anyone who might be worried about speaking out and thinking, oh, you know, I'm going to get judged, or um, there's nothing anyone can do about my problems, or it's all me, or anything like that, what would you say to them about that? There definitely is. There definitely is people, things people could do for help. And the stigma around mental health is so different now. It's so accepted. And I think you'll find more people understand and more people have been through it than you, you will ever realise. The people that you think are doing great, they have an amazing job, they have an amazing life, everything's going for them. I can guarantee at some point they will have struggled with mental health. And what you see on social media is definitely not people's real lives. And I think reaching out and, and finding people, there's lots of forums, there's lots of support groups. There's all sorts around to help, and it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be something that you go to. There's tech, there's things you can text, things you can call. There's a lot of support out there if you don't want to go to someone you know. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Becky. It's been inspiring, and we could talk about this for ages because you've just got so many things that you've done that would be amazing. So, if anyone wants to get a hold of you, they want to get in touch, ask you any questions, or ask you any thoughts, and I think how can they do that? Uh, my page is on Facebook, Wobble Bridge Wonder. Um, I haven't been massively active over um, lockdown, which is naughty of me. But um, yeah, I, I always reply to everything and feel free to reach out. I'm more than happy to give any advice or support or anything. Cool, thank you. And obviously you're one of our Flow and Changes ambassadors, so you know how much Flow and Changes has helped and things over the years as well. And, uh, and if so if anyone wants to know anything about that, then obviously they can get in touch and have your thoughts on it as opposed to mine. <laughs> 100% definitely. Cool. Well, thank you so, so much, Becky. It's been an absolute pleasure. And um, this is going to be a real, a real good one for people to listen to and a real inspiration. So thank you so much for everything. And we will catch you soon. Thank you. Bye. And I hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as I did. If you want to listen to more of them, then please do follow us in Apple, in Google and on Podbean. Hack Your Mindset with Jenny is the name of this podcast. So please do subscribe, follow us and we look forward to you listening into our next one. Bye, everyone. Who got this? You got this?